Hello and welcome back to How to Buy a Kitchen or Bathroom, the podcast brought to you by these3rooms.com. For episode number six, and it's a good one. I'm Lindsay Blair, the editor of these3rooms.com and KBB magazine, and thanks for joining me as always. This episode, I am delving into kitchen islands, not literally, but figuring out how you can get a kitchen island into your kitchen, including how to actually find the space, how to make it work for you and your family, what to put where, and also, if you don't quite have the room, how to admit defeat and create the feel of an island, but in a much smarter are a regular podcast listener you know how this works by now but I'm going to tell you anyway it would really mean a lot if you go on to your podcast provider rate and review this episode I love to know what you guys think and then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes it has to be said that a kitchen island is in my experience one of the top features on a dream kitchen wish list. Many of the projects we feature in the magazine and on these3rooms.com have had a new island installed as part of the kitchen renovation. And when I asked some of you what you most wanted in your dream kitchen, guess what came out on top? So to get to the bottom of why the kitchen island is such a popular addition, I'm joined by Luke Wedgbury, who not only owns Colville Kitchens in Leicestershire, but also has done his own kitchen, complete with an island. Hi Luke, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks Lindsay, good to speak to you again. And you, well Luke, I'm dying to ask, tell me about your new kitchen. I've seen some snaps, it looks absolutely incredible. You've done a self-build, haven't you? Yes, we did and it, it is it's, it is amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful space and the self-build itself was quite interesting because we almost designed the house around the kitchen space. Uh, kitchens is is what we do. We're at the heart of the design of kitchens, we've been doing it for, for nearly 25 years now. So we had this great opportunity to design our house around this amazing kitchen and it's it's worked out really well. It's beautiful. Now, it is beautiful and it is amazing and it has a whopper of an island in it. It certainly does. Yeah. So my island in length, just to give the listeners some perspective, is uh, nearly it's nearly seven meters. It's six point six meters long. It's a huge space, but it incorporates lots of features. And and I'm sure we'll dig into that as we as we go through this chat. I'm sure we will. I mean, you have an island. I would love an island. But the most obvious question I bet people are thinking can I have an island? It's one of those dream features that, as I said, crops up on many a wish list. But you should really consider the detail of your space before you decide, actually, yes, I do want one. Now, not everyone can have a seven metre island, let's be honest, but (laughs) there are lots of different options available. But where do you actually start when you're trying to decide whether your kitchen can have an island in it? Well, I think it's important to put your faith in a uh, in a kitchen design consultant. So don't look at your space and think to yourself, do you know what? I don't think I can get an island in here, so I'm not going to mention it. It's, it's really important that you create a brief list. So when you're looking to design a new kitchen, create a list of, of, of a brief list of what you would like to incorporate into that kitchen. And then you can go even one step further and create a, a priority list. So basically move those bits and pieces around on that brief list. But if you would like an island in your kitchen, 
put it on the brief list and let an expert look at the space, look at where the doors are, look at where the windows are and, and let them tell you whether they think it's possible. It's really important that you just let somebody who's, who's very good at what they do, do their thing. I suppose it really depends on the the scale of your project as well, doesn't it? So if you are just doing a, a simple kitchen refit and you're working within the confines of the space that you have, you know, you kind of know the, the space that you're working with and what might be possible. But like you say, it's always good to get an expert on on board. But if you're extending or you're building your own home like you have, the opportunities for getting an island and getting the kitchen that you really, really are dreaming of are within reach. When do you need to involve that designer in, in the project? Oh, as, as soon as you possibly can, whether it be a, a single storey kitchen extension that you're having done to the house, whether it be you're looking at having a wall removed, uh, whether it be a huge extension where you're having an extra dining space or lounge or something that's really open plan, or, or even if it's a new build, I would recommend, thoroughly recommend that you start talking to kitchen space designers really early on. Even before architects get involved, we've have we have conversations all the time with architects who are uh, looking to do uh, design work for extensions or new builds, and they'll kind of ask us our opinion. They'll kind of say, "Listen, we're architects; it's not what we specialize in, but as a kitchen designer." Uh, how can we get this right for the client? Because the brief is they want an open plan, a living dining space, roughly gives an outline of where you would put things. And, and we, we we give our input and, and tell them what's on trend at the moment and what people are asking for. So it's it's vital input before you kind of almost spend a lot of money with architects and designers designing a space that isn't quite right. Before you do that, get as much input as you can, as much advice as you possibly can from, from specialist designers, especially kitchen designers, and they'll be able to guide you in the right direction. And, and lead you on that path, which ultimately comes to the, the space that you, you're looking to create. Quite often I hear stories of homeowners who are trying to get an island into their kitchen and they've spoken to an architect. And then when they get their kitchen designer involved, actually the designer of the kitchen changes the layout altogether from what the architect might have suggested because it might work better in terms of a better floor or just getting the island in that makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think what tends to happen is architects are very good at looking at things as blocks on a piece of paper and moving things around and thinking that that, that might work because that gives you enough space. But a kitchen designer, when you sit down with he or she, will really go into the nuts and bolts of how you want to use the space. So, for example, if you were contemplating on having a sink on the island, wouldn't it be nice that if you were stood at the island using that sink, you had a great, beautiful view over the garden? It's those bits and pieces. It's those little nuggets of information that you will end up giving to a kitchen designer and they will take all that information and, and create the space that you need. Not so much with builders or architects. They don't really dig into it as much as, as, as us designers do. So it's very important to have those conversations early on to get to really get to the nuts and bolts of how you want to use the space, not just how it's going to look. I think you said the space that you need as well, but talking about the space, you know, the footprint, what sort of space do you actually need for an island? If you're redesigning a, a room that you already have, or if you're extending, you know, you can't just dump an island in there, can you? No, it's all about flow and space. So 
if you can incorporate an island and you can work off, let's say, a minimum space of a meter, so a thousand millimeters between the end of the island and the beginning of the kitchen units, which are on the wall, or the end of an island and, and a wall, which is just a solid wall, which is a walkway, or even a patio door, a meter's worth of space of flow all the way around the island is, is pretty much a bare minimum. Now, you can go you can go a little bit smaller than, than that if the space allows you to and if how you intend to use the kitchen allows you to do that but as a bare minimum if you are at home and you're sketching out your room and you've got your rough measurements try and bear in mind that you're going to need a meter to walk all the way around the island and a meter in width of space to get by and that's a general that's a good general rule of thumb to play with if you've got more than a meter then wonderful uh, if you've got a little bit less don't panic take those measurements to a kitchen designer and they'll be able to guide you in the right direction is there also a maximum distance? You know, you, do you want three metres? Is that too much? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and that boils down to, again, how you're going to use the kitchen. So if, for example, you had a galley-style kitchen where on, the, on one back wall it was floor to ceiling with appliances and housings and the oven was, for example, in that, in that run. But directly opposite that run of housing was an island which which ran parallel with it to create that kind of galley island feel. You don't want to be taking anything out of the oven and, and taking too many steps before you're able to pop it down on the island. So uh, a maximum, we've done them before around about anywhere between 1.5 and 2 metres as a space. But it does get a little bit big. It can go too far because you've just got to be 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 conscious of how far you want to walk with hot boiling pans and how far you want to walk with that hot dish that you've taken out of the oven before you actually get a chance to pop it down on the island worktop. So, yeah, there is. You're quite right. The minimum is important, but the maximum is, uh, I mean, 1.5 metres is is quite a way, it's quite a distance for you to have to have to have to move. Anything over that is can become a bit a little bit of a struggle. So very important to bear those things in mind. Yeah, you don't want to be sort of using the kitchen design as a way to get your steps in the day. <laughs> yeah. but, but also you need to think about, as you said, you know, if you're taking something out of the oven, you need to think about the the width of the oven door and how far that's going to protrude into that walkway space. Yeah. Uh, exactly that's that's it and also as well when somebody stood at the island working at the island or even stood at the uh, at the kitchen units which may be behind the island if somebody stood there working whether they are prepping a meal whether they're dishing up or whether they're using the sink can somebody walk past them quite easily without having to do what we call a shuffle I like the visual of a shuffle. I think that's a great one to keep in mind. But that applies on the other side of the island. So if you have one side of the island is obviously where you might have your, your sink or the hob, as an example. On the other side, if you have a dining area in an open plan space, you might have a dining table there as well. So you need to think about pulling back of chairs as well don't you yes yeah 100 percent. that will come down to flow and and how you want to use the space so for example we did we did a design on a kitchen for somebody uh the back end of last year december we actually installed it this year uh and and this conversation came up where we said to the client we believe that the back of the island which which incorporated the breakfast bar area was too close to the dining area we felt like there wasn't enough space for you to pull the chairs out and use that space freely. Uh, but then the clients kind of, they were, uh, they were a couple with no, with no children, just the two of them living in the house. And they explained to us in detail how they used the house. And they said, we, 
the dining area is very formal. We're never going to sit there unless we have guests. From a day-to-day use, we're going to be sat at our breakfast bar. So we don't mind that it's a little bit tight. Uh, we don't mind that it, on the occasion when we do have people sit there, it might, we may have to have a little bit of a shuffle if that's the case. Because by doing that, they get the kitchen that they wanted. And 90% of the time they're going to use that kitchen. Uh, they're going to enjoy it to how they've wanted to design it. So that little kind of... Uh, a little section where it's a little bit tight. They don't mind doing that because they get what they want to get. So I guess while there are these rules, loosely speaking, in place in terms of minimum and maximum distances, it is open to interpretation based on how you use the space and the lifestyle as well. And also, what are you going to use that island for? You know, don't just have an island for the sake of it. You really need to think about what you're going to use it for. What are the, the most common uses for an island these days? Well, I think the island has has become a, a real, an island kitchen has become a real social space. A lot of people are asking us to make sure that when we design a kitchen, the island is a usable. It has a use. It has a purpose. So there is the sink in the island, or there is the hob in the island. There has to be a purpose to the island. And if we can if we can get to the point where there's a purpose to the island, then we can start to look at design and make sure it actually it's there for a reason because the the danger with islands is if it doesn't serve a purpose it can almost look like an afterthought and that's where people have gone wrong in the past where they've designed the kitchen all the way around the outside of the room and said great we've got space for an island let's just put an island in the middle and it can sometimes look like a bit of an afterthought and it's it's conversations you need to to do to avoid that kind of uh, scenario really so I think I'm thinking about the different scenarios you might have. You have a, a cooking sort of island where you might have a hob on there and then a, a one maybe with a sink on there. So it's more of a wash station. And then you can have an island that is, you know, simply more of a serving space. So you might not have any appliance or sink on there. It might just be work surface. So shall we run through those? I mean, there might even be others that you can suggest. But if we think about more of a cooking island, you know, if you love to entertain and you want to sort of be centre stage and look over everybody else while you're at the hub, you might have the hub on the island. What sort of considerations do you need to take to have that set up? Space is at a premium on islands when you have some kind of hob on there. Most hobs now, uh, most people are opting for a slightly bigger hob. So a normal hob is have have a four burner or four rings, which is round about 600 millimetres wide. A lot of people now like to have the slightly wider hobs, which can go to kind of seven or 800 millimetres wide. And they'll give you the five rings or the five burners. But what you have to bear in mind is you need ample worktop space either side of that hob. So you can take things off the hob and place them down next to it. So for if you if you take a pan off the hob, you want to be able to put it on the right hand side or the left hand side. Make sure you've got plenty of space to do that. Equally as well, make sure that if if you, if it's a social space that you've tried to design where the hob, if you're stood at the hob and you're entertaining, you need to be mindful of how close to the, the, the hob other people are if they're sat on the back of the island. So if the island incorporated a, a stool height breakfast bar, how close are they to that hob? Is it a gas hob? Is the heat going to be a bit too much? Can we extend that space to give people a little bit more respite so it's not too close to, to them? So I think it's all to do with worktop space. 
if the hob's going to be on the island, just make sure you've got enough worktop space so you can actually utilize that appliance properly. Because otherwise it becomes a bit of a pain in the bum if you've got to take something off the hob, turn around and take a couple of steps and put it on the worktop behind you. That then doesn't become a very usable space. So uh, worktop space is a premium, especially if you're going to have a hob in the island. Safety, as you mentioned, is such a key thing to think about because, yes, have a hub on the island. But if you do have a breakfast bar on there, you know, what sort of distance do you need between, you know, if you've got little kids sitting there or you've got family or friends just over for a a cuppa or whatever while you're cooking? What's the safest distance? Is there a safe distance that you can prescribe? Yeah, I mean, not really. There's not. There's nothing that kind of comes out of the rule book that says it has to be so far away from from a breakfast bar area. We work off 500 millimeters, uh, which is uh, you know uh, half a meter, which is plenty of space. Uh, but there are lots of things on the market now that will create some kind of barrier. Uh, there's the rise and fall extractor fans. So if you had a, a gas hob that was in the middle of the island. You could have an extractor fan that sits just behind it. And if you were to look down at that that extractor fan, it almost looks like an elongated letterbox. Uh, And you press a button and it rises up slowly and it creates a screen between the working hob and whoever sat behind the hob for a bit of protection. Uh, So that's one thing that you can consider. Uh, And that's that's especially if you're using gas as well. When you're using electric and induction, the the risk is a little bit less because there's no naked flame there. Uh, But still, you can still use those kind of extractor fans to create a screen, especially, I think, when you're talking to, to young families, people with young children, they want some kind of reassurance that even if they, they are boiling something on the hob, if they turn the back for two or three seconds, they want some reassurance that a child can't reach over and, uh, and, and, and put their hand accidentally anywhere near any hot pots. So the first thing is distance. Uh, we always recommend 500 millimetres. And we'll have various conversations with clients about how the kitchen is going to be used and who's going to be in there. But 500 millimetres is great. And then also as well, if you can create some kind of screening, which is a rise and fall screening. So when the hob isn't in use, uh, the actual extractor fan screen just disappears and, and, and goes back into the worktop. But when it is in use, it rises up and creates that bit of safety barrier as well as working as an extractor. Yeah, I think safety is often the thing behind the debate when it comes to what to put on an island. And I think the debate often comes down to whether to put the hob on there or whether to put the sink on there. So if the option is for sink and that's the preference, similarly, what other things that you should think about is, does it come down to making sure you've got enough space either side again? Yeah, again, it's, uh, it's, I mean, if the sink was on the island, and the clients wanted a dishwasher, we, we would always recommend that the dishwasher goes into the island as well. So then if you have the sink in the island and the dishwasher in the island, you really have to think about how you're going to use that space. For example, if somebody said to me, I would like the sink in the islands because we spend a lot of time prepping at the sink and we, we do like to wash up. It's a social thing because, you know. People still do that. <laughs> so it's uh, it's good to, to get these, this kind of information. But if somebody said that to us and the dishwasher was next to the sink, then if when the dishwasher was open, you need to make sure there's enough space to get past and, and, and be able to walk through again, like we talked about earlier on, uh, on flow. So that's something to consider, making sure you've got a draining space as well. If you, if you do like to, to, to rinse things and wash things up, making sure there's worktop space on the side, uh, either side as well uh, for draining grooves. Uh, and, and of course, the safety thing does come into play there because even if you have a sink on the island, most of our clients now will opt to have a boiling water tap. So again, they're worried about using a boiling water tap 
on the island with potentially young children sat not too far away from that on the back of the island where the breakfast bar area is. So again, you just have to make sure you've got the width on the island to have a little bit of workshop space either side of the sink, but also the depth of the island to make sure that any small children are far enough away from that boiling water tap that it's, they're not going to get harmed in any way when you're using it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm really hung up on the point that you said about people doing the dishes as a social activity. (laughs) (laughs) That does not happen in my house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's uh it's great when you know as kitchen designers when we sit down with clients and we really dig into how they use the space and how they expect to use the space we, we have a little tick box list and we say do you want a dishwasher and they go yeah do you know what we probably should just in case we ever want to move on or we ever want to sell but do you know what luke we actually like to wash up once we've had our meal we sit down we we, we digest the meal and we and then and then we stand up and we have a little bit of a chat one washes one dries we put everything away and it's it's a nice little kind of social thing and it, it's amazing how many people still do that well that is very heartwarming <laughs> and it's nice to hear that that still happens i mean i am all for the dishwasher i'm just going to put that out there whack it in and shut the door yeah, walk absolutely. away absolutely I mean, <laughs> three children and 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 a dog meal times for me is uh, well it's more like a war zone it just gets done <laughs> and then gets thrown in the dishwasher and we forget about it <laughs> I just want to touch on the other type of island that I mentioned, just the work surface only island where it's just clear, it's it's extra serving space or it just, I mean, these days it could even be a work from home spot. Is that a popular way to do an island where it's, you know, it just is that work surface? Yeah, definitely. If, uh, If you have enough wall space in your kitchen to incorporate the sink and to incorporate the hob in a way that suits how you want to use the kitchen, then don't be scared to think that I'm just going to have one big island in the middle or, or indeed whatever size it needs to be. You can break that island up by having uh, different types of seating there. You can have low-level seating or, or breakfast bar stores of seating. Uh, and you can. I would always recommend, thoroughly recommend to everybody, if it's possible, to get power to the island. So you can have hidden sockets. You can even have pop-up sockets that, that will rise and fall from the island. Then it doubles up as a workspace. Uh, even if it's not a workspace, it's great for young children who are, who are sat at the island potentially while uh, while mum or dad are in the, in the kitchen cooking and they can use laptops and pads and, and, and charge phones. And it becomes it, it becomes a bit of a central hub. People use it and then it becomes a social space for, for a kitchen. Uh, but there are also other things that you can pop into an island. It doesn't need to just be one what we would call great big slab of quartz or granite or formica. You can add things in like a, a hidden bin, for example. You can have a bin that's recessed into the worktop where when you're doing chopping things on chopping boards and prep, you can instead of walking away, you can just lift the lid up and slide it into the air, slide it into the bin. You can also have salt pigs and things like that. You can have uh, low level storage that's cut into the worktop. Almost we, we call it in-house. We call it trough. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and our clients quite like that. But but a trough in the island is something that's almost cut into the island and, and it has a shelf small down, further down. And you can put things like herbs and oils and salt and pepper and and, and things that you would use to prep a meal in there. So it doesn't an island can be can be can be made to be very interesting without actually having a sink or a hob. It's all about design and, and really thinking about how how you're going to use it. I mean, storage is an obvious benefit of an island, isn't it? Especially an island that hasn't got any other appliance or sink in it, because you can dedicate that whole area to drawers for pots and pans and everything that you might need the drawers are most definitely the popular option because with a drawer uh, as you're aware Lindsay when you open the drawer everything's 
basically pulled in front of you and you have a bird's eye view of everything that's in that drawer. Whereas opposed to a cupboard, you have to open the cupboard, bend down, look at the bottom shelf. And sometimes it can be a little bit awkward. But yeah, I mean, storage on, on islands is it can be it can be zoned as well so for example a typical island would have a breakfast bar on the reverse side of the island which would potentially face a living or dining area now that that side can also incorporate storage so the storage on that side of the island could well be for placement mats could be for games it could be any storage to do with the living side of the island as opposed to the working side so it's it's really great to zone that storage and when we have discussions like that with clients they go oh, that's that'd be amazing we could have you know the the, the posh crockery can be on that side because we only use that once a year at christmas when the family come round so that's great and you know and we can have all the game board board games in that cupboard and all the placement mats in that cupboard so it, it it's really not only does it bulk the storage, it gives you the opportunity to zone the storage as well. So it's uh, it, it's a great use of space, to be honest. Great. Well, we talked a bit about islands in a, a larger kitchen space. But I want to I don't want to leave out the people who have a smaller space to play with, because, you know, that is uh, generally in, in the UK, we might have smaller kitchens. But what's the limit of getting an island into a space? And when should you just sort of forget the idea if your space is small? It's sometimes you have to think outside the box. We've done it before where a client has come to us and said, we have what we call a, a U-shaped kitchen. So we have we have three walls in our kitchen where we want to put kitchen units down, which will create a U-shape, almost like a horseshoe-shaped kitchen, which is very popular. And then they said, we'd also like an island. So we had the discussion with them and said, well, listen, the space isn't big enough for an island. You just can't get one in. Uh, if we were to leave a meter's worth of space all the way around your island, your island would only be half a foot wide. I mean, 500 by 500. It'd almost be like a, almost like a trolley. It wouldn't serve a purpose. But then after looking at the brief list and the priority list, we realized that the island was really important to this particular client. So instead of having a U-shaped kitchen, we took the idea to the client of saying, well, how about we just create an L-shaped kitchen? So one of the walls we completely leave blank and just use it as a walking space. And that then gives us the opportunity to put just a small island in. Now, this island wasn't huge. This island was only a meter wide by 900 in depth. And it was a prep island. So she, this particular client wanted to, to do more prep area, especially for baking. So, so that in that instance, it worked really well. She was convinced that she wouldn't be able to have an island because she didn't have enough space by the time we designed her kitchen as a U-shape. But by us saying, well, listen, let's think outside the box here. Let's remove one of the runs from the wall. That creates more space and then you can have an island. And actually an island that's only 900 millimeters by, by 1,000 millimeters still looks stunning and actually gave her lots of prep space and more storage space as well. That sounds like a really good compromise because I think the problem is you think, oh, I can't have an island, so that's that. But there are ways that you can create the feel of an island without actually having the typical island, like a peninsula or even a, a portable block that you could sort of wheel in and out. Yeah, and we have these conversations all the time. And often as well, a client will sometimes mistake a peninsula for an island. It's quite amazing, really, when you design a space and you design what we would call a peninsula, which is essentially for you, for the listeners, is, is a run of kitchen units which comes out into the kitchen. 
and isn't connected to a wall in any any way, but it is still connected to the ki kitchen units that have been designed in. And they look at the design and go, okay, well, wow, you've incorporated an island. And we'll kind of explain that it's not a quite an island. You can't get all the way around it, but it does create a focal point. We've managed to put the hob there, or managed to put the sink there, and it, and it then also gives you a breakfast bar. So there's there's definitely ways of of incorporating the idea or the feel of an island uh, without actually having the space. Because ultimately, in my experience, they connect the word kitchen island with social living. They feel that it, by getting an island or some kind of island into their kitchen, it becomes more of a social space. And it's 100% true because when people come round after the kitchen's been finished and it's all done and dusted and, and, and they invite their friends round, People gather around the island and they stand there and they have a bit of a perch, have a glass of champagne and have a drink. Uh, and, it, and it's a wonderful place to be. So it's, uh, it is important to think outside the box and it is important to think, well, actually, if I can't get a full blown island in like I want, what can we do to potentially make it feel like we've got an island? And a peninsula, like you've mentioned, is a great way to do it. And also as well, having the removable islands that are on wheels, almost like the trolleys that we talked about earlier. They're great because they can be tucked out to one side when, you, when they're not in use. But when you do need some more prep space, uh, you can bring them into the centre of the kitchen uh, and use them accordingly. It's interesting that you talk about a peninsula or an island being in people's minds connected to a sociable kitchen and I would probably agree with that I think it does lend itself to being more sociable which brings me on to seating you know we can't really talk about islands without talking about seating and there are lots of different ways to incorporate seating into an island so the bar stool is an obvious one so I want to ask you about how to best make that work and how to make it comfortable because sometimes they can be quite uncomfortable to sit on but also the trend for banquette seating where it's literally built in and it's normal seat height which maybe might be more comfortable than a the bar stool what are your thoughts i think actually everything that you've uh, you've just mentioned what it does is, is it leans itself towards what people are using their kitchen for more now so 20 years ago i don't think we'd be having these conversations where we want to incorporate into our island breakfast bar seating lower level seating and we also want to incorporate uh, seating that, that where we can sit around a dining table as well built into the whole kitchen and i think it's great because people are, are really spending more time in the kitchen they don't want to go from one room to another they want to spend all the time in one space uh, and have open plan living and have it almost zoned off but seating is well first of all seating is is a important because it from a usability point of view uh, you need to make sure that the seating's in the right area and it works but b seating can really make or break the design of the kitchen if you get the seating in the wrong position from a cosmetic point of view it can it can make or break the design and also from a usability point of view it can be it can ruin the design so you have to get it right low level seating is wonderful for example, in my kitchen, when we, we designed our island, because it was so huge, we knew we needed to break it up with different levels. Otherwise, it would have become a bit too overpowering. So we do have a high level breakfast bar area with comfortable bar stools to make sure that, that, that people are comfortable when they're sat there. But we also have a drop down area as well, which we treat as our breakfast kitchen. And we, that's where we do indeed have all of our breakfast. And it, it gives it that kind of uh, three dimensional feel. It doesn't feel like it's just one big block that stood there. And the only reason that, that it does that is because of the seating. The, seat, the different levels in seating allowed us to do that, uh, allowed us to incorporate into the design. So A, it looks wonderful, but B, it works really well. 
So, for example, the breakfast bar seating in my particular kitchen is at a certain certain end of the kitchen where we know we don't get the morning sun. So when we sit there, we're completely sheltered. We haven't got sun in our eyes. I'm going to close the blinds. It's wonderful. It works well. So it's things like that that you really need to consider. And uh, and seating is is a great way to uh, to almost start your design of the island. If you want seating in it, you think, right, so where's the best position for the seating to go? And then we can decide what are the things we're going to incorporate into the island. That's especially important now that many more of us are working from home. You know, you might want to put a more comfortable low-level seat into the island area that you can sit and work at. But we've talked a lot about the the practicalities and the things that you should consider in the use of the island. But I want to move on to some of the fun stuff, the design, the colours, the textures. You know, are you going to create a statement with your island? You know, is it going to contrast your units? What are the possibilities and what's your preferred design style when it comes to islands? Oh, it's absolutely endless. Our favourite clients are the ones that come in and go, right, we really want to do something different with the island. We want to make it the focal point. And I think by default, most kitchen islands are the centre of attention. They are the focal point. So it's great to play with different colours. It's great to play with different materials. You have the opportunity to really make the island stand out. I mean... Two-tone kitchens are really popular uh, and an obvious thing to do is to make the island one colour and have the rest of the kitchen another colour that tones in really well. That's a great trick to use. It's a great design trick. and all. But, but on that, you would have the same worktops on the kitchen as you would with the kitchen island to give you that connection to make sure it all feels like one space. Uh, but yeah, using different materials is wonderful. So we've done kitchen installs before where we've had granite and quartz on the main kitchen that's against the wall and then maybe had real a real kind of warm deep oak on the actual main island to give it some character or, or equally has some kind of corian and, and, a, and a fun funky color which can be quite daring uh, on the island because like i said by default the islands are going to stand out anyway it's going to be the center of attention it's just uh, how far do you want to go do you want to make sure it stands out wonderfully and it, it feels completely different or would you like it to blend with the rest of the kitchen the the the, the possibilities are endless when you have an island in the kitchen and it's separate from the rest of the kitchen you really get to flex your design muscles and the options are, are great and, and the wonderful conversations to have with clients because you you, you see the the cogs start to go around and people think what they can and can't do and it's the ones that it's, it's the daring ones it's the ones that really want to take the risk they're the ones that are, that are normally the most successful and, and really make a go of, of making the island different and really fun to design, I imagine. I mean, I've seen some amazing shaped islands where, you know, that real sort of objects of art, really, in the middle of a room, obviously with a function, but the shapes that being created with using stone, it's just incredible. You know, if you really think outside the box and gather as much inspiration as you can, take that to your designer, they could come up with something that you've never even thought about. Yeah, exactly. So something that's that's truly bespoke. And I think that's what technology can do now with various worktops that we, we work with porcelain, we work with stone. And Corian, as you know, can be we can do all sorts with Corian. Uh, so to have lovely, lovely curves, we've even done teardrops before, that kind of feel. So, yeah, the possibilities are endless because of of, the, of modern technology and what can be done with these materials. It's great to, to do your research. Mm, that sounds really exciting. Now, I have to ask you, as with many, many things in life, it comes down to cost. So does adding an island to a kitchen scheme create a lot more cost? 
It can. It just depends on what you've had to do to get the island into the kitchen in the first place. Like, for example, the, the client I just talked about where we had to change the kitchen from a U shape to an L shape to incorporate the island. There was absolutely no cost difference to that client at all because the units that we removed from one wall, we essentially created an island with those units. So the cost wasn't wasn't that much different anyway. If you have an existing kitchen, which is, let's say it is an L shape or a U shape, and you don't have an island in there now, but you would like an island, then obviously there is going to be a significant cost increase, mainly down to what cabinets you'll pick and how big the island is and the work surface. Because if you're going for a specialist quartz or a specialist granite or a specialist stone on that worktop area, if the island is of a size of a decent size, then of course it's going to cost you a little bit more money. But it's all relevant to the size of the kitchen. And if you set a budget right at the very beginning of your journey for designing a kitchen and you explain to the designer that you'd like a, an island in the kitchen, then if the designer comes up with a scheme that falls under budget, then absolutely, you know, you're winning and it's fine. It's not a budget buster. I would, in my experience, I, I can say, honestly say that it's not the difference between going way over or way under. It's certainly something to consider, but I wouldn't be scared to design an island into a kitchen simply down to cost. I really wouldn't do that. I think that will be music to lots of our listeners' ears who maybe are concerned that it will bust the budget, as you as you say, but actually with a good designer and by working with the right team, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you can really make it a possibility in your home. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So it's all about being transparent at the very beginning of the of the journey when you first sit down with any kitchen designer. Uh, be completely transparent about what you would absolutely love and let them flex their muscles and let them see if they can deliver. Well, Luke, you've thrown down the gauntlet there. You're going to have people knocking on your door, bringing you all sorts of design challenges. But I end every episode with the, the same question. And I want to know from you, what is your golden rule for kitchen design? And what is the biggest mistake to avoid? Oh, wowzers. Okay, so right. Golden rule for kitchen design is probably going back to the very beginning of this conversation. When you are about to start thinking about having a new kitchen, whether it's a renovation, whether it's a new build or an extension, write a list down of all the things that you would love to have in the kitchen. Once you've created that list, have another separate blank piece of paper next to it and then create a priority list. Then you will really get to the nuts and bolts of what you want from that space. So everything on that brief list that you've created, all of a sudden it's in a priority order. And it's it's really it's enlightening, really. You're you're if you're sitting down with your partner or or, or your husband or wife and you have these conversations, it's often an argument. Well, I, well, I think the boiling water taps a priority. Well, I don't. I think that I think the corner pull out is a priority. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting. And we have these conversations with our clients all the time. But it's a great exercise to do. It's a really great exercise because by the end of the, it's only a 15, 20 minute chat. But by the end of that 15 minute and 20 minute chat, you'll have a real clear picture of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, because the sooner you can get that picture clear in your mind of what you want to achieve, that's going to make the whole journey a lot easier for you. As opposed to the biggest mistake to avoid, wow, the biggest mistake when it comes to having a new kitchen installed is do not opt for design over usability. Do not opt for the option where the kitchen looks stunning. And when my friends and family first walk in, they're going to go, wow, it's amazing. But actually, it doesn't work because you're the person who's got to spend a lot of time in that kitchen and it's got to make you happy. So make sure that it works. Make sure that everything's in the right place. It's going to make your life easier. The oven's at the right height. You have 
water tap, the fridge is in the right position. Because if the, if the kitchen works, you'll be a happy bunny, trust me. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. So brilliant. Thank you so much, Luke, for all of that advice. And thanks for being a guest on the podcast. And hopefully I'll chat to you again soon. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'll speak to you soon, Lindsay. Speak to you soon. Thank you so much to Luke at Colville Kitchens in Leicestershire for sharing so much advice when it comes to Kitchen Island. And I think really what I took from that conversation is to work with the designer no matter the size of your space, if you get the right designer, they should be able to make an island or an island feel work for you in your kitchen. So I hope even if you have got a smaller kitchen, you're now thinking of ways in which to incorporate some sort of compromise solution into your space. And it's given you the confidence that you can have a kitchen island, even if it isn't quite what you first imagined. And I love what Luke said. At the end of the day, the kitchen that you have, it's got to make you happy. I mean, if that's not the best line to end on, I don't know what is. As always, if you do have any questions and want to get in touch with me with anything, email me on hello at these3rooms.com, follow KBB Magazine on social media, and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a beat. For now, thank you for listening and join me next time for more of How to Buy a Kitchen or Bathroom, the podcast. <laughs>